that um, that they would uh, just draw closer to you and 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 uh, find just um, intimacy with you, Lord, as as we worship. I pray that um, the message this morning would be a reflection of your heart and would be a reflection of of um, what the text says, and that I would be faithful in that. And I pray that the folks here would. Uh, um, look at the at the scriptures as a mirror, Lord, that they would uh, just come to know you more and, and uh, lean on you more through this. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we had a technological glitch last week, and we will see if I can make my um, make my new thing work. Um, we're probably going to need to pray, uh, especially since it's really not working at this point. Um, when I worked at uh, the Presbyterian Church as a youth pastor, we had a, uh, a rule that anything technological would take at least three weeks to work right, and uh, it appears as though week two is a no-go, so <laughs> it's, it's not working. I'm not connected to the Wi-Fi for this room. It doesn't see it. It's not going to work. Um, it's okay. Oh, it's, that's gone now? You're right. I don't. Oh wow! I'm really stuck. <laughs> you don't know the kind of stuck you are until you're that kind of stuck. Um, well, in the name of technological problems, um, I will uh, I will jump into my illustration for the morning. Um, anybody know what this thing is? Anybody who is not Jimmy or did not have a conversation with me last week about it? Uh, <laughs> uh, what is it, Marlene? It is a crank for a uh, for a, no for a Victrola, but it's close. Um, I am not going to make a joke about it being from 1910, and you recognizing it. I hope she didn't hear that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I love all right. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I love these old record players, right? I, I, I love them. I like record players in general, but these old Victrolas, I'd never gotten to play with one until we moved here, and, and Virgil had one in the front of, uh, of the antique store, and, and for almost two years I went in there, and I would, I would hold Abby, and I'd crank that thing up, and we would listen to these you know, very, very old records. And the, the spring inside that regulated the speed was kind of busted, and so I would have to hold her and, like, turn, oh, too fast, too slow, too fast, too slow. And, but I, to me, you know, you look at this thing, and, and it, is, it is old, right? It was really old. Um, but it still works, right? And it works with almost kind of like this, this simplicity that's art, right? Like, it's just, I'm blown away by it. Um, and I finally, I've been looking for, for, since I've been here for three years, I've been looking at these players at, at Virgil, and they've had several come through, and I've thought about buying them, and I, 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 uh... Will you help your <laughs> It would be shorter. So, yes, it would help. Um, <laughs> the, uh, I've been looking at them, and I finally, I finally bought one, um, earlier this year. Um, they they gave me a very good deal on it and and I uh, I it, it's it's a bit of a fixer upper right which is fine because I was actually when I when I got it I thought you know it's going to be fun to fix this thing up and I started reading about them and I started like like researching and and the first problem I had was it was missing 
a crank. And surprisingly, you can't make them work without, without our crank. Um, I watched Jimmy take the thing apart and use a pair of channel locks to wind it up, and I could not manage to do the same thing myself because I am mechanically declined. Um, but I, I found a company on the East Coast that manufactures Victrola parts because, you know, why not? Um, and I and I bought this thing, and I, I've had the thing sitting on my workbench. This, this, I don't know, thing must weigh 50 pounds. This 50-pound a mahogany record player sitting on my on my workbench, and I I started working on it, and then I hurt my back, and I was sleeping in the ch chair, and I thought, man, I'm not touching that thing until I'm done, and I I finally took it out, and I I cleaned up the wood, and I polished it, and it looks very pretty, right? I'm gonna polish the metal next, and it'll look really nice, and I'm gonna rebuild the sound box, and I, I've got plans. Right, but I, uh, I I polished it up, and the first day I had it polished up, I put my little crank in there, and I wound it up, and about the fourth or fifth time it went around, I heard a thunk. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it wasn't a good thunk. Like apparently that that's not a good thing when it comes to hundred-year-old record players. Um, mine was manufactured in like 1910, so it was 105 years. And this spring, inside this thing. Um, decided at that moment that it was going to give up. And so I can wind it four or five times before that thunk happens. And, and so, you know, I can wind it and I can put a, put a record on and I get about four seconds of good record playing and then it, you know, <laughs> then it stops because the, 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 the spring is busted. And so it looks pretty, right? I can wind it up. I can put records on it, but it doesn't work quite the way it's supposed to. Got it? The reason it doesn't work quite the way it's supposed to is the engine, the thing that gives it power, is not connecting properly. The spring is disconnected from the rest of the machine, and so it does not transfer that, that movement into anything. Um, what we're going to be talking about this week is Nehemiah. Right, and for the next, like for the rest of the summer, we're going to be doing Nehemiah, and Nehemiah is a man who um, accomplished something really difficult, and he accomplished something really difficult very quickly. Got it? Like this is a guy who um, um, came out of exile, basically, like living somewhere else, like that was not his hometown. Um, I'm going to suggest that he may have had some like personal difficulties that came with them. And he, he did big things. Got it? Um, most of the sermons I've listened to about Nehemiah are, are the kind of sermons where they say, you can do big things, right? And, and almost every one of them misses one basic thing, right? Now watch this. We're going to jump right into the text. Well, actually, let me make sure I got everything. Nehemiah is living in Persia. At the time, he, um, we're going to find out a little more about his job and all that as we go, but he's living in Persia. Um, this is at a time when Israel um, had, like, ticked God off pretty bad, and he sent the Babylonians to, like, wipe them out, and they burned the city down, and they burned the temple down, and they hauled off all the gold, and they tore down the walls, and then they took every resident in the city who was worth taking, and they, like, put them somewhere else. They made them live in another country. And for 70 years, they were in exile. They lived away. And the Holy Land, like Israel, was empty. It was just a big, empty place like Wyoming. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, like chunks of Montana, too. I mean, let's not lie, but, like, we're not as empty as those guys. Um, 
eventually they're brought back. And like, like after years, 70 years of praying and repenting and getting things right, they come back and the religion has changed and the people have changed and they're very serious about not getting exiled again. They come back in three phases, right? The other book on this is Ezra and actually in the Jewish Bible, Ezra and Nehemiah are a single volume, right? Because like, they're interconnected because they're both about the rebuilding of the city, um, Ezra specifically rebuilt the temple years and years and years before Nehemiah came along, right? And he tried to rebuild the walls. Um, when he started rebuilding the walls, some of the neighbors who didn't like Israel sent letters to the king of Persia and said, hey, those guys in Israel, they're jerks. If they build a wall, they're going to fight against you. And they're not going to pay their taxes. And they're going to do all these other bad things. And because we really love you, we'll willingly go over there and loot that city and keep them from building a wall if you give us permission. And the king of Persia is like, well, if these guys are difficult, go ahead and do it. Let's get rid of them. And, and so, like, they had tried to rebuild walls. There were no walls. They tried to rebuild the temple. It was partially rebuilt. They hadn't completed it because of the wall thing. Um, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, jumping in to the text, okay, Nehemiah. Um, and you'll understand the record player thing. I'm going to get to it. I didn't just talk about that. It's coming back. Okay, don't worry. I'm ADD, but I'm not that bad. Um, or am I? Uh, the words of Nehemiah, the son of um, Hakila, um, now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the twelfth year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with, a certain, with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and, con- and concerning Jerusalem. So now, there's a handful of things that we learn here. Um, first off, the guy's name is Nehemiah, and we know that he had a father, right? We know nothing about his dad. This is the only time he's mentioned anywhere, but he's mentioned, so there's that. Um, Nehemiah, by the way, if you were a Jewish person reading this, you would recognize right out of the gate, Nehemiah's name meant something, right? In the Old Testament, you would name your children according to something that was going on that was important or something you were looking for, right? Now we name our kids based on what sounds cool. That was true, right? Or like we named Abby, Abby Rosemary, Abigail Rosemary, so her short as Abby Rose. We named her after a Beatles album. Like, <laughs> like people name their kids for all sorts of things now. Then names were like significant because they would speak about the situation, right? Um, Hosea, I talked about Hosea last week. He was married to a prostitute who was unfaithful. And he named his kids things like, this is not my child. <laughs> Why? Because he was kind of hurt by it, right? And so he said, son of another man, that's your name. Um, and, and like it was significant that way. In relation to Nehemiah, um, what we have is a man named um, the Lord Comforts. Okay? The Lord Comforts. Now, why does that matter? Well, it matters because um, this is a group of people who have been scattered to the wind. Their families like have been wrecked. Their hometown destroyed. They're taken away from where they live. As a people, they've been shamed. And, like, it's been very repeatedly told to them that God is pretty angry at them. And they've lived their whole lives, many of them, not knowing their hometown. Not being able to go back to their home. Living somewhere else. And being told, you're here because you guys are bad. Right? And so, like, these people living under this, like, boot 
I mean, could you imagine living your whole life that way? Like, you know, it's, 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 I mean, that's a weight to carry, right? You know, like, hey, don't forget you're terrible. <laughs> they start naming their kids Nehemiah. Nehemiah is actually a very common name for this period because people were looking for God to help, right? They were turning to God and they're saying, hey, can you send us some relief? Can you send us some comfort? And, and we do see that where Nehemiah or variations of it appear like, in, in like several of the intertestamental books and documents and stuff like that, like it is a common name because people are looking to God and they're like, come on, fix this. Come on, fix this. Come on, fix this. It's the heart of these people is turning towards God and saying, help, right? And it's, it's important here, watch this, because um, I, this is going to be a hard thing to say. I don't mean to be mean. Um, as a as a as a as a group, our culture, we don't look to God to help first very often, do we? I mean, my solution is if something's wrong, first thing I'm going to do. Actually, I'll even tell you, I got a phone call from a doctor the other day with a, a bit of bad news about hurting my back, and the first thing I did was I started calling people who knew something about medicine so I could figure out everything that I could figure out, and then I started researching so I could figure out what, like, is going to happen in order to fix this, and then I started coming up with ways, what if I sleep different? Will that help, or what if I do this? Maybe I could get some different pain medicine. What if I do this? What if I do that? And I'm, like, trying to figure out every way I could possibly come up with, and you can ask my wife. I had a very stressful chaotic day and by the end of the day I was up very late because I couldn't sleep because I was angry and I was frustrated and I finally was like doing laundry in the middle of the night um, because that's what I do in the middle of the night when I can't sleep and I thought you know what I I should probably talk to God now (laughs) because my first solution is can I spend my way out of it or is there some way science can help right Um, my last solution and it's, it's our culture, right? We don't look and say, well, God, can you save us? Can you help us? I, I've got actually about a, well, far too many stories. It would be embarrassing to talk about all the instances in which I've kind of said, well, you know what, God? I'll ask for help later. Let me see if I can fix this first. You know, hold on. I got this. I'll come back to you, right? Often we turn to God last. Um, now I have, all right, so Nehemiah, the people are turning to God and they're looking for him to help. Um, the month of Chislev, this is actually the beginning of the year, right, in the 20th year, and they don't tell us what that means immediately. It's not the 20th year that he lived in Chislev because of his, or excuse me, in Susa. Um, because of his job, Nehemiah would probably have traveled a bit, and we'll get into that later. Um, Chislev would have been like our November to December era. Got it? So it's winter which Susa was a winter city. Like, it would be where people would go and spend winter, right? Like, people don't spend winter in Montana if they can help it. For whatever reason, I don't know. <laughs> they go to Arizona or, or Florida or whatever. So he's in this, you know, it's winter, or, and so they're in this, like, winter city. Um, and his brother, and this guy was probably a family member, how do we know he was a family member? Well, later on, he uses the word brother in a way that's a little more specific to family. In this instance, like the word brother probably could have meant like, you know, another Jewish person, right? Or this is my, my brother from Jerusalem. You know, we're, we're not related, but we're from Jerusalem. Um, but this guy's probably a family member. He came probably on business as the guest that most scholars come to is that they came on business. They may have come to see Nehemiah, and we'll get to that in a minute. 
Um, and he asks about the Jews who had escaped. So the guys who had been in exile and come home, how are those guys doing, right? And you expect something good. I mean, when you hear about somebody getting like, you know, getting out of a problem, you expect positive. Um, I think Nehemiah asks, like thinking, oh, well, things are probably good. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Now, we don't live behind walls here. Not really. Right. We have different kinds of walls there. You know, I I don't have a wall around my house, but I have a shotgun. Yeah. And that works as my wall. I lock my doors. Right. Most of you lock your doors. Right. Um, And the reason we do that is because we don't want people to just visit um, and take our stuff or, you know, kill our pets or burn our house down or do whatever it is that they might do. Right. In Jerusalem. Um, in the ancient world, actually, a city's walls were a huge deal because they prevented folks from showing up and burning the city down. Got it? <laughs> it prevented raiders from coming in in the middle of the night and stealing stuff. Um, if an enemy army showed up, if you have no walls, you ain't defending your hometown, right? You are in trouble. And so for the city not to have a wall and not to have a gate is embarrassing, and it means that you live in constant danger. Right. It would be like, I mean, Big Sandy's a, a bad example because nobody steals things from cars except from Marlene. Um, sorry. Um, we, we don't generally have theft here. Right. But if I lived in the inner city, if I lived in a, in a bad neighborhood in Detroit, if I lived in Chicago at all, I, you know, I would want I would want locking doors. Right. Um, I read a story about a pastor in uh, in Detroit, actually, who had he was from the Deep South, and it was his first pastorate. And he, his wife came from a very formal Southern family, and they had this very formal dinner for these people that came to visit from the South, like four months after they'd moved into the town, and they were all dressed in Southern attire. It was, I guess, in the 60s. I don't know. Um, and the husband forgot to lock the barbed wire fence around the parsonage. And a drunk man wandered in and sat at the dinner table <laughs> and fell into the soup and knocked the woman over. And, and like, because they left their walls down, right? We got no walls and anything can happen then. So they have no walls. This is a huge deal in the ancient world. And, and so, like, the people are not comforted. They're there, but things aren't good. Um, and so then Nehemiah, who's probably never been to Jerusalem in his lifetime, um, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourn for days. I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now, in the 12-ish chapters that are to follow, Nehemiah is going to do huge stuff. And he is going to make people who do not get along get stuff done. My kids, they fight over toys. I cannot get them to clean their room (laughs) to save my life because they fight, right? This is a little like that. Except, like, they built a wall, right? Like, he goes and builds a wall around this city. He accomplishes something huge. Um, His first instinct in response to the tragedy that his people are facing is he's emotional. He cries about it. He mourns. He stops eating. And he prays night and day. Now, the reason that that matters is because um, what's our first response usually? Like when the car breaks down, what's the first response? <laughs> when you get a bad report from the doctor, what's the first response? 
when you get frustrated or when the kids aren't cooperating or when you got the neighbor who's driving you nuts or a family member who's driving you nuts or your marriage is in trouble or you're struggling with an area of sin in your life or da 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 Our first response isn't, I don't know about you guys, maybe y'all are better than me, but like, I don't always jump to prayer first. My solution is, well, if I need money, where do I find it? If I need to deal with a, a person who's giving me difficulty, do I pray for them first or do I figure out how to deal with them? Honestly, I, I figure out how to deal with them. And because prayer is not always the first step, we end up with an odd situation. We end up where we try to accomplish things and there's a short circuit. Um, sometimes we know what we need to do. We start moving parts to make it happen. And because we haven't connected properly with God, we do not end up with the result we're looking for. We have a disconnect that happens between us and God. I am not saying that praying will make God do everything you want, right? I have been praying for a hot tub for a while, and I've been asking for one. It has not showed up. <laughs> um, though I did have somebody tag me in an ad on the, on the garage sale website, so it's getting closer. Um, the point being, um, prayer is connection with God, right? People who pray first usually pray all the time, right? Um, one of the things that we enjoy as Christians, like this in the Old Testament before Jesus, one of the things we enjoy as Christians is we are in right relationship with God because of Jesus, right? Jesus dies for our sins. We're forgiven. We don't have to stand in front of God and say, hey, I'm a bad guy. Um, let me go ahead and atone for my sins, and then I'll, you know, like it actually says we can walk into God's presence straight away, right? Like, like, and, and Jesus refers to God as Abba, and, which is Hebrew, or I'm sorry, Aramaic for, for daddy, basically. Like, you can talk to God intimately, like, and closely. Like, we are in a position, believers, people who are covered by the blood of Jesus, are in a position where we have intimacy and connection with God. Um, but being righteous before God is beyond relationship with Jesus. It starts there. It also means having a relationship with God, right? We aren't saved for the purpose of being rich. We aren't saved for the purpose of enjoying the stuff we can gather, you know, or having an easy time in life. We're saved for the purpose of being in a relationship with God. And prayer is the foundation of that. Jeremiah star, or Nehemiah, there's one of those guys. Nehemiah starts with prayer because um, a man in a relationship with God recognizes that, like, you accomplish things because God makes it happen. Um, there were all sorts of, well, I'm not going to jump into that. Um, and so he starts out fasting. When we talk about fasting, fasting is not eating and replacing that time with prayer. It's stepping away from physical comfort in an effort to focus on spiritual like health. Got it? It isn't, if I don't eat, God will bless me. Because there are people who say that. If you fast, God will give you what you want. It's not that. It's when you fast, you are like totally focused on God. Right? And comforts tend to draw away from that, right? My, my TV and my you know, DVD collection do not help me focus on God. I know it's a shock. <laughs> my, my comfortable bed does not help me pray more. I like my comfortable bed. But the reality is that like, comfort tends to sometimes help us sleep. And it does not help us be, you know, be, be like, like in a position where we seek God first. And so Nehemiah begins by praying. And we're just going to cover his prayer and we'll be done. 
Um, and I said, O oh Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God. Now, mind you, awesome is a very interesting way to translate the word. Um, it can also be translated terrible. Um, the reason that it's, it's awesome is because we think of God as being, like, really impressive. But awesome carries a connotation of, like, wow, you're great. But in reality, there's a second half to this. It's, wow, you're great, and I really need to take you seriously. Because this is a guy who watched his entire, or didn't watch, has heard about his entire people, everyone who belonged to him, getting, like, wiped out because they had rebelled so much against God. Um, terrible is recognizing that God is awesome, but that, like, at the same time, he's not safe, right? Isn't that, That's from uh, Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis books, where... Uh, you know, this child meets Aslan, who's, like, supposed to be Jesus, and he's a lion. He's like, oh, is he nice? Well, no. <laughs> is he safe? No. But he's good, right? And so, like, as he approaches God, he acknowledges, you know, oh, Lord God in heaven, the great and awesome, but, like, awesome as in, like, potentially dangerous um, God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commands. Now watch this. Um, covenant means contract. It means he reminds God, he acknowledges God, and he uses the word Yahweh, by the way, which is like a, um, it's a term for God that like sort of emphasizes his faithfulness, like a lot of times amongst Jewish folks, or his loving attentiveness. Um, it's first given to the uh, Israelites, or actually to Moses, as he's about to take the people out of slavery, right? It's just, you know, God who keeps his promises, <laughs> who keeps his promises, um, you know, who loves us, right? God's love is one of the dominant features in this discussion. And as he reminds God of who he is, love is a driver in that. He says, listen, you love us. You know, you take care of folks who keep your commands. Um, in our world, in the new covenant as followers of Jesus, we recognize that following Jesus and living rightly is important, but we do not earn God's love. Got it? Um, we are righteous before God because we live holy. Um, you want to be wrong before God, like, do whatever you feel like. And, and you know, you, you'll end up wrong before God very quickly. Um, so he says, listen, God, steadfast love um, with those who love him and keep your commands. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned. All right, there's a lot there. We're going to jump into this. He says, God, I'm praying day and night. He actually, it sounds like a few days when you read the text, if you don't know the Jewish calendar. Um, before Nehemiah takes a next step, he prays and he fasts for three to four months. Um, I don't remember the last time I prayed for three months for anything. Anybody? Not really, right? Um, I say that for a reason because um, I read a book on, uh, um, on God's like major movements in history, Right? Every single time God has ever moved in a large way in history, it's preceded by a time of praying. 
Not praying a little, not praying for an hour, not praying for a week, but praying at length, sometimes for years. Um, and it's every instance, the Reformation, like where God like sets the church right again, right? There are people who prayed for God to do that for years. The, both of the Great Awakenings, everything. Like you go through history, every instance of God acting in his creation is preceded by years sometimes of like fervent and like going back to it prayer. Um, if I stand up and say, God, this is what I want you to do now, I'm winding, right? Um, but I'm doing so without connection to God. Prayer is a driver of connection and intimacy and forward movement with God. Sometimes it's hard even though you're praying. Sometimes God moves slow when you're praying. It's the truth, right? Um, But prayer is like connection with God. If I do not talk to my wife, will she bring me a sandwich when I ask? Yes, she will. What's on that sandwich is this. (laughs) Um, If I do not talk to, I mean, ultimately talking to God is part of what makes intimacy and relationship with him happen. If we do not talk to him, if we do not have connection with him, like things do not happen. He goes from adoring and acknowledging God to confessing, right? He says, hey, we've sinned. My father's house and I and my house have sinned against you. Now watch this. Um, it's not stated overtly in the text. So, like, it's possible, like, this is a guess, okay? But um, Nehemiah refers to Jerusalem as the city of his fathers, right? Which is something, like, the kings would use. They would say, oh, it's the city of my fathers, like, city of David. just Bethlehem, actually. Um, he talks about his father's house and his house, which most scholars will read, and they'll say, oh, wait a minute. This is an indication that, like, the royal line, Right? There, there are a couple of other arguments there, and one of them is Nehemiah's job, because it was a job that Persian kings particularly liked to have foreign royalty do, right? Like as a way of demonstrating how awesome they are. Like if I could get the president of another country to wait on me hand and foot, <laughs> that would be great, right? Like it would show that I'm awesome. If the president of the United States getting my tea or getting my coffee in the morning, that's good, right? Um, if Bill Gates, you know, Bill Gates brings me my coffee, I wouldn't have him bring me my coffee. I've had windows. I know he'd mess it up. Um, but, <laughs> um, but, you know, it's a sign. Like, and so, like, like, there's this indication. Nehemiah may be royalty. He may be of a royal descent, right? And so, like, he talks about his sin and his people's sin. Um, now, does anybody have Facebook? In the last couple months, maybe you've seen Christian folks post stuff on Facebook about how awful other folks are. Um, I very seldom see people stand up and say, you know what, God, I'm sinning too. We are sinful. It's usually you. The reality is that if we live in disconnect and rebellion against God, or if we stand amongst other folks who do, like, we all carry it. When we approach God, if we approach God pointing at other people and not looking inward and not confessing and not acknowledging his grace and love for reaching down and saving people like us, like we end up standing in a bad spot. 
if I stand before the king of the universe and say, I'm awesome and this is why you're going to do stuff for me. I'm not coming at him right, right? Um, and so he acknowledges sin first things. It's adoration, confession. Um, we have acted corruptly against you and have not kept kept the commands, the statutes, and the rules that you have commanded your servant Moses. Um, there's actually a, a little chunk to this, but I'm not going to go into it at this point because um, um, it's a lot to talk about. He's basically, to sum it up, he's basically saying everything that ever was come up with about how to obey God, we're not obeying it, right? Um, everything about it. We've rebelled. We've screwed it up. We break the rules all the time. And so he goes to guy. He says, "You're awesome. You're scary, but you're loving, right? Um, and you keep your commands with people who love you. And we love you. And we've sinned against you. Um, and we've broken your laws." And then he goes on and says, "Remember the word you have commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you amongst the people.'" And that's happened, right? Like it literally, like he scattered them. And a huge chunk of the nation never came back. They just disappeared in history. Like they were gone. And so he wipes out the nation. He scatters them to the wind. Um, But if you return to me and keep my commands and do them, um, though your outcasts are in the outermost places of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. And so he says, listen, if you disobey, I'm going to scatter you. If you do right, if you repent, if you come to me, if you, you be in relationship with me, you like operate according to the, the way this is, right? This is from Deuteronomy, by the way. He's sort of paraphrasing and quoting at the same time. Um, it's four verses. He collapses down. But he says, God, we're repenting. We're praying. We're doing right. Keep your agreement. Now, is Nehemiah saying, this is the quiz. For everyone who's sleeping, you're in trouble now because this is a test. Um, is Nehemiah saying, God, here's what I want you to do. Now you're going to do things my way. Really? Everybody was asleep? He's not. He's saying, God, this is what you said you were going to do. Now let's do what you're going to do. Right? He doesn't say, this is what I want. Can you give it to me? He's not rubbing the magic lamp and saying, all right, Santa Claus, (laughs) get on down here. (laughs) Um, He's saying, God, this is what you promised. And we're with you. Let's go according to your plan. Now, it's important because... Um, a lot of times when we pray, we assume that it's a little like going to the vending machine, right? If I hit the buttons and I get the wrong candy bar, I'm going to be ticked off. That happened to me at the medical center recently. I got, I got a, uh, a cherry Coke instead of a Diet Coke. And I thought, what the heck? And I hit the machine, and I left quickly. Um, <laughs> um, I, I talked to a kid once who had just come out of jail. He uh, had been in jail five or six times for drug-related charges, and um, he was begging God one night to take him out of jail. And the next day, he got sent out to rehab. And he was really angry. He's like, you know what? I asked for God to take me out of jail, and he didn't give me what I wanted. So, well, wait a minute. He got you out of jail. He's like, yeah, but I wanted to go home. <laughs> Ultimately, like, God does what he wants, not what we want. Right. Part of the key to becoming powerful in prayer is praying in harmony with 
what God wants. When my kids ask for things, if it's not something I want them to have, guess what? They ain't getting it. When they ask me to do something, if it's something I think they should, they should be doing, I'll be along with them. Um, Jesus actually expresses the same idea. He says, listen, those of you who have kids, if your child asks for a fish, would you give them a rock? Well, probably not. I don't know. Did I bake the bread? Or did I, excuse me, if, if your child asks for bread, would you give them a rock? I screwed it up, right? <laughs> if your child asks for a fish, would you give them a snake? No, right? Like, you wouldn't. How did I blow that? It, it was so easy, and I just messed it up. Um, <laughs> um, in reality, God gives his children good gifts, right? And he gives them according to his will. Part of what Nehemiah does very, very well is he conforms his heart and his mind and his will to God's, and he prays along those lines. Guess how he managed to conform his heart, his will, and his mind to God's will? He read his word, so he knew who he was, and then he talked to him. <laughs> um, and so he prays, he says, God, can't you bring us back? You promised that even if you tossed us as far away as heaven goes, um, you would bring us back. Actually, uh, David wrote the same thing in the Psalms. Even if I make my bed in hell, you will come and get me when the time comes. Anybody ever found themselves like waking up in hell? It was a bad place. Um, but God is faithful, and he, like, and he saves. He's the God who saves, like through the blood of his son, um, but he saves those who seek him. Um, they are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. By the way, that phrase is from the Exodus. Like It's used over and over again in the book of Exodus and it, or in reference to Exodus, and it talks about bringing people out of slavery. And so when he talks about God fixing the wall, he starts out by saying, hey, remember you've done this before. <laughs> You're good at it. Can you do it again? Um, oh, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear in your name and give success to your servants today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. And so he um, adores God. He confesses to God. Um, he asks, right? After all of this, um, he begins by relating to God and connecting to God and acknowledging his shortfall, and then he asks for stuff. Um, and it's all too often, and I do it too, um, we jump in and say, all right, God, here's my list. <laughs> um, here's what I want, instead of conversing. And ultimately, like, it's a big part of what God's after from us is relationship. Um, it's the icing on the cake, honestly, um, is knowing God. And so he prays and he asks. And after all of this, so he's had the conversation, he's prayed, and then he mentions something. Now I was the cupbearer of the king. Um, which is funny because Nehemiah doesn't say, hey, you know what, I hang out with a king every day. I'm one of the most trusted people he knows, and he probably, like, you know, loves me dearly, so I got some sway. He doesn't talk about his potential or his effectiveness or his this or his that or what he can accomplish. He turns around, and the first thing he does is he asks God. And so, like, the very first thing he did before he starts even winding the record player is he makes sure that the spring's hooked up right. Because if the spring ain't hooked up right, he could try as hard as he wants, and it's just his effort. I can guarantee you, I will guarantee you 110 times over, your effort will never, 
equal what God can accomplish. You want to overcome something sinful or broken in your life? God can do that, like, much better than you can. You want to, like, like touch the lives of those around you? God does that. Um, but all too often we jump and say, here's my job. Here's what I want to do. God, here's what I want. Here's my Christmas list. Um, the cupbearer of the king, what does that mean? Um, in the ancient world, it was really common for people of royalty to be poisoned. I know it happens. Or it happened, right? And so you had a guy whose job it was to eat everything you ate before you ate it. And so Nehemiah's job was to travel around with, like, the king, King Artaxerxes, right? Um, And to eat everything the king ate before he ate it. But, like, if you were going to do that, you had to have a guy do that who you trusted, right? Like, if you had somebody do it who hated you, what kind of problem are you developing, you're literally saying, hey, your job is to die for me. And so then this guy, um, it's really common in the ancient world for these guys to be very trusted by kings, to be like advisors even. This is an incredibly prominent position. And so Nehemiah is the king's right-hand man in a way. And so like he's a man with enormous potential, but he doesn't recognize his potential apart from seeking God first. Um, what he accomplishes, he accomplishes because God does it. Um, I have listened to a hundred sermons on this book, um, and I have yet to hear, like, and I, I've actually read their whole books written about how you can use Nehemiah to be a better leader and make your business successful. And almost none of them start with, hey, if you're not praying, you're not doing your job. If you're not talking to God, if you're not seeking him out, if you're not lining up your will with his, you ain't going to accomplish anything. It begins with that. Um, my challenge for you as we go into the summer, um, my encouragement for you as we, as we kind of head into this book, is to look at your heart and look at your life and look at your interaction and connection with God and to ask, where am I at? Am I talking to him because I need him? Do I look at God as like air that I breathe? Um, am I standing before him regularly acknowledging that I screw up or am I pointing at other people? Um, where am I at? Um, where does prayer fall in my life? Um, if you find that you are out of line, if you find that you're out of alignment, if you find that your spring is busted, um, as we go forward, like we're going to talk a little bit about like things you can do, but like it begins with just talking to him. Like, well, it begins with being under Jesus' lordship. So you say, well, Jesus, your boss, right? I accept forgiveness from you. I will follow you. I dedicate my life to you. I belong to you. This is it. And then you live like it's true, and you talk to him. You pray. You read his word. You hear from him. You acknowledge him. You interact with him. Um, and that's the beginning of all, all great things that can happen. Um, you find me a man who looks like Jesus, I'll show you a man who prays. Um, you find me a man who like loves people who are unlovable, unlovable. Like, I'll show you a man who's praying to God regularly, and God's changing his heart to make him into what he is. Um, we're going to close in prayer. Um, and, uh, oh, no, we're going to close with communion. Um, I'm going to call my guys forward, and who's doing music for me? Hi, Rebecca. 